0: Welcome to yet another episode of React Roundup. I'm your host of the week, Thomas A. Hello. On the panel today, we have uh, the OG Charles Wood.
1: <laughs> <laughs> OG, new author. <laughs> yeah. yeah Mike, and um, today? check it out.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Wait, hold it for picks, dude. Hold it for yes, and. Sir, uh, sir. And we've got uh, Christopher Rays. Hello, everybody. So our topic for today is how do I introduce new tech at work? This is always kind of a, a challenging topic. We don't have a guest on the panel today. It's just a chat amongst the panelists. So Christopher, you want to kick it off? How would you introduce new tech at work?
2: It depends what kind of situation we're in, language or framework. Like, you know, moving like the big topic online you'll see is I think last year when JS won or AngularJS kind of stopped being supported a lot of people. There's a lot of articles out there about migrating to React. So I think um, if you're going to make that kind of big jump to React, the first thing you want to do is make sure it's not just your preference, but everybody is into it. And that's kind of a controversial topic because, you know, obviously there's no shortened supply of frameworks you can choose.
0: Yeah, another thing people are looking into is Vue. Vue is kind of the new cool kid on the block. There's a bunch of different options now, as far as like preact, and that also includes introducing new new features, et cetera. There's a million different ways of of introducing new things, not necessarily doing a complete sea change like switching to a new framework.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that was just an interesting one last year, and Vue obviously has a lot of benefits. And even at my work, we had we were start a new project, and there's people with the React experience, but we still had to sit down to talk to see like. Is view something we want to do? Or I mean, since we already have React experience, do we leverage that? So those are all things you want to take into account when you're kind of introducing that new framework, I think, is just to sit down and have that time to be like, we're going to set aside 30 minutes to an hour, maybe throw together a proof of concept and see how everybody feels and if it's something we want to do.
1: Yeah. One thing to keep in mind too, though, is that some of the decisions, for example, if if it's we're going to set up a CI machine or something mostly the development team is going to care about that, right? So you just need buy-in from the other people that you know are going to have to look at it going red when it breaks, right? Whereas, yeah, something like changing up the framework or things like that, where it's actually going to impact deliverability, things like that, you're also going to have to get uh, buy-in from everyone else, right? And so when you're making the case, it's not just something that will benefit you, but you've also got to get buy-in from the people who are impacted by it. So you may have to go, get buy in from sales or marketing or you know some other people in the company that aren't on your development team and say hey look we're moving off of angular js or angular 1 to react or vue or angular 2 2 uh, plus i guess i think they're on version 8 now 8 or 9 oh um, yeah i think it's 8 you know we're going to make this change it's going to take some time you know we're not going to be adding as many new features because of that and here's the reason why it's not supported anymore. They're not adding any new security updates or anything else. And so, out of concern for you know the top priority being that we don't mess certain things up like security, you know we're, we're going to switch. And so yeah. you have so, to make the case and buy in that way.
0: So getting buy-in is a another whole interesting topic because, like one of the ways I've seen it go bad is where they'll say gather a, a group of people together in a single meeting and the goal is okay we're going to we're going to look at it and make the decision in this meeting right now and where i've seen that fall apart is where some people just need to to kind of sit and think through things on their own silently before they can contribute and sometimes like the process by which you make a decision can unintentionally silence people that have a hard time either speaking up in that group or that sort of thing, which can sabotage things in the long term when people are not all the way on board.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. And going back to getting buy-in from management and team, and one of the, I'll I'll link the article, it's just like six steps to introduce tech at work. Uh, One of the points is, is to have a champion for whatever you're going for. So that's what's nice. If you do have maybe like that two meeting system, or you have that meeting an introduction, someone that kind of plays devil's advocate, and then everybody goes home, thinks about it and comes back the next day. And then you kind of circle back because it kind of gives the more introvert types the time to kind of settle and think about it and speak up. And then the extroverts to kind of listen and see what everybody's opinion is on the matter.
1: Yeah, I've seen some companies also just have a, like a set process for making these kinds of decisions. And yeah. so you can kind of add this to the process and that way you can say, okay, we're going to enter, you know, looking at switching to Vue.js or React. This is a React show. We're looking at switching to React. Into that <laughs> process. And then you can move ahead that way and kind of figure out, oh, okay, then what are we looking at here? And and follow the process. And then nobody's surprised, right? When... yeah when you move on to the next stage. And then you can like time box
0: things and make sure the process kind of doesn't get out of hand and eat up too much time. Yep.
2: Yeah. So I think that's pretty much in terms of migrating from to, you know, whatever framework to react or whatever your choice of language is now to kind of get more into details. I wanted to talk about, you know, lately with the introduction of hooks, there's um, obviously a lot of legacy code out there with class-based components. So Let's talk about how to introduce hooks. Obviously it's pretty simple. First of all, I
0: just want to make sure that not all class based code is legacy. <laughs> Some people <laughs> yeah. <below they>
2: <laughs> still hundred yeah. percent backwards yeah, for, compatible. Forgive me, forgive me. It's yeah, not good and bad. It's not a holy war here. We're all yeah. friends. <laughs> but you know how it goes. It, you know, if something's new and shiny, you wanna use it. Well. <laughs> yes. Yeah, some of us, yeah. I'm severely guilty of that. Oh, yeah, me too. So I think the introduction of hooks was, you know, this past year has been a fun thing to watch. So I don't know what you're... Concurrent mode
0: and suspense and stuff coming up, too. This is going to be another whole sea change opportunity.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, and I think you made good points. Just because, you know, class-based components are backwards compatible, it gave people the option to stick with what's comfortable. But then you know those of the you know those who are kind of using render props or higher order components and kind of running into that render prop hell, if you will, are able to kind of utilize this for as a new pattern to kind of handle those kind of issues. Yeah, I think what really helps is to
0: kind of tease apart the different things because sometimes when, when people say let's do X, what they really mean is let's do X Y Z <laughs> W W etc. and conflate a bunch of things and I think at the very least, we can all agree that if you're using React, everybody at least needs to understand code written in Hooks and know how what the, the trade-offs are, whether or not you choose to actually use them yourself individually or use them in your project or migrate to them, et cetera. We all need to at least understand them.
1: Yeah,
2: Yeah, that's a good point because as we've seen, some of the ground pains with Hooks was with use effect and rendering a million times when you only really wanted to render once based on like a variable change. <laughs> so yeah. I don't really understand it's significant. Yeah. I think it's interesting to, to look at both
0: positive examples and negative examples. So thinking of like, you know, how do I introduce new tech at work? So thinking about, okay, what's the worst way people have tried to introduce new <laughs> tech at work and how did they fail miserably so we can avoid those mistakes?
2: You know, it's kind of similar to the framework. You kind of, you talk about it, you do a proof of concept and you see if it works. So, you know, it's, you kind of can have a generic approach to each of these topics. You kind of get buy-in from the team, you need a champion, and then you try it and just see how it goes. Yeah.
0: I've seen examples in the past where, like getting buy-in from the team, what I I saw was like, what they tried to do is like, okay, we're going to test out these two different options. And then they, you know, got, one person assigned to do this one thing and the other person assigned to do the other thing. What they accidentally created was a, uh, a revolutionary war. And it, was, it became like this technology was linked to this person and all the people that like that person versus this person. <laughs> yeah. And then it wasn't about the technology in a war. It was just about the people.
1: Yeah, I've run into that as well where, yeah, you know, it's basically, you know, people going around and lobbying for the thing they want. And <laughs> exactly. it's whoever whoever's the most <laughs> persuasive, right? Or the one that people like better. The person people like better, not the option people like better.
0: Yeah. Exactly. And we're technologists. We're engineers here. We're at least pretending to be.
1: And we're humans.
0: <laughs> and we're humans. Sometimes it's it's easy to forget that we still are <laughs> humans. And the tribalism and all that stuff is still quite alive in the us yep
2: yeah i think you had a good point too you almost need someone on your team that kind of bounces you out and is a little bit of a devil's advocate so like i'm you know i'm blessed enough to have someone on my team where a little bit more conservative so it's like when something new comes out i'm like okay let's learn this new thing and try it and then you know they'll be like okay well let's think about it and fill out it 10 times and then see what's the best solution. You know what (laughs) I mean? So I like, yeah, you know, so it isn't, it's nice to have that balance. I've been, you know, in each of my jobs I've always had someone like that. That's a little bit more tempered. So I think it's nice to know, like when you go in to learn anything, always look at the downsides of it as well. Just so you understand all basics or all aspects of it.
0: Yeah. It also helps to like, I, I recently learned kind of my default patterns looking over over my, my history, I'm the type of person that gets excited about the new and the shiny too much and overvalues the new and undervalues the old. So I've kind of learned that I'm almost not allowed to be the person to say, hey, let's change everything because that's kind of what I want to do anyway. So I'm forcing myself to be kind of the, the crotchety old guy who's like, well, maybe we should <laughs> wait or maybe just to, to kind of counterbalance my own natural desire to just like, let's switch everything to hooks now. Let's remove all the semicolons. Let's, you know, whatever the flavor of the day is.
2: This past year, that was kind of the big topic and it gave every, you know, it kind of forced this conversation in a lot of workshops, I think. And not only did it change the code bases, I am I almost feel 100% sure it changed the dynamics of the team because- yes. There's a lot of people that want to embrace things. There's a lot of people that want to wait and make sure things are stable and see how other people handle it in production. So, in terms of introducing tech into the workplace, how significant do you guys think a team dynamic is? And do you need people to have these kind of roles where you know this person, this guy is like the R and D guy, and then you know this you know woman is going to handle you know the test and implementation. Do you think we should have structured roles like that, or is it just more significant to have like a like an organic discovery phase. The thing that I worry about is like
0: people kind of falling into roles that suit their own kind of like, like if I'm the R and D guy that, that like doubles down on what I want to do anyway. So I almost like, I wouldn't trust the results of an R and D guy that's obsessed with new and shiny because of course they're going to recommend the new shiny thing you almost want to kind of force people to at least temporarily do roles that are exactly the opposite of their personality. Like the get the old crotchety guy to be the force that person to at least do the R and D of like, Mm -hmm. tell us why this is why the new shiny thing is good.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think I I recently, like about a couple months ago, I had to do that for styling frameworks and obviously no one really likes Doing CSS stuff, so it was a fun well. task to have. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> I, for my experience, yeah. <laughs> you know, like I mean, we had a couple. It was like you know, go through Bootstrap and design, and like Material, and choose the benefits and all this stuff. And Oof, that's it a was big a big f- job. Yeah, it was a big job. And then you know, I did proof of concepts. It took a lot longer than I expected, but you do learn a lot. I think whatever you have to teach something, it gives you the opportunity to kind of pick up tasks you didn't know or absolutely you know, learn new things. You know.
1: Yeah, I want to push on that a little bit because you're you know, you're talking about trying a whole bunch of different options, doing a bunch of proofs of concept. And I get that a lot of these technologies, especially the the decisions like bootstrap versus foundation versus material design versus I think Microsoft has one called fabric, these decisions can affect you long term because they're things you're going to use day in and day out, but Yeah. Sometimes you're trying to make a decision as far as like which CI system am I going to use and it turns out that, you know, try it and if it works, use it, right? Right. Because most of them yeah. do more or less the same thing. And so I wonder, you know, if this process needs to be different if it's a technology choice that, yeah, just kind of fits under that umbrella of, hey, pull in this tool. That's um, a good
0: point. So I guess that's like, you know, the the first thing that you need to figure out about, okay, so we we want to bring in this student technology. So what's the, what's the long-term maintenance cost of making a choice versus not making a choice and choosing the wrong thing versus right. just like serverless technology. Are you locked into like this specific platform or you
1: can you easily just switch mm-hmm. or relatively easily? Or, you know, in serverless, there are things that are specific to AWS Lambda that's different from Google Cloud Platform that's different yeah. from Azure Functions. But the flip side is, is that they're mostly the same. There are just some nuances that you can use. And so yeah. that's the other thing is doing your research and saying, well, if we build them all this way, it doesn't matter. But of course, you can go too far
0: that way too, where you're just yeah. spending all your time and effort building meta stuff to make right. it easier to make a, uh, change your decision later on instead of going full force on making a decision and actually building stuff with the thing right now. Yeah. How do you measure that? That's a good question. How <laughs> hmm. <laughs> you measure it? I guess it, it, it really all depends on the details. Like if you're f- picking a, a platform like Vue versus React versus Angular, so much of that also goes into the people that you hire. Like I'm never going to go and, and, like if they switch to Angular where I work, I'm no longer working there. <laughs> like I'm not going to just switch. Oh, I guess I'm <laughs> going to use Angular now. No, no well, I come have on. a job. <laughs> Don't be so closed-minded. I've tried it and it's just like for my career, my choice, anyway. But it's like, <laughs> it, it, it does kind of change who you can hire and, and kind of who's going to be willing to work on that thing at that place. Even if they don't mention it now, they're it it's flexible. going to have human impact later on. But things like, you know, what CI framework, it's like ugh, nobody's switching jobs because, dang it, you chose Circle CI instead of, <laughs> Whatever Jenkins. the heck, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's fair. Well, I don't know, Jenkins is. Dumb. Yeah,
1: <laughs> well, and Angular people, right? No, I'm just kidding. So,
0: <laughs> I love Angular people. I know I have, I have very good friends. I have a token have friends with Angular.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the virtue signaling in here! Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> don't get I off on I have Angular friends too, guys. Get just... off me! Um, no, no, I know. I I hear you. I mean. For what I'm seeing, you know, generally Angular and React at least have a pretty good uh, pool of people you can draw from. Absolutely. Uh, view is growing, and so you're probably pretty safe with that bet too. If you were going to go with Ember, the pool is a lot smaller, right? Yeah, and, and then so, like Reason and stuff like that, you're, you're really getting into the
2: yeah. not right. a lot of
1: Reason people out there.
2: there. Yeah, there's two good points there too on it. So, they,
1: they offer oh, different sorry, advantages, so right. it, it yeah. depends on what you're doing too. Anyway, go ahead, Chris. So there's
2: two good points there. When you are introducing a new technology at work, one, what's the talent pool like if you grow? You know, that's something you consider. And then uh, Thomas had mentioned, you got to be concerned about the long-term cost of this. And I think that's a good segue in. How do you, if you aren't doing some kind of automated testing, how do you introduce testing and how do you start? Because testing has, you know, that classic you know, saying about it is it has this extreme upfront cost, but it really pays off long-term dividends. So have you guys been in that situation where you have to introduce testing and yes. how did you go about it?
1: You yes. said that fast, Thomas.
2: So, <laughs>
0: so much of my career,
2: I've, I've, my
0: standards are like, you have to have a certain level of testing, a certain level of QA, a certain level of, you know, code repository stuff. So so much of my career, I've I've always just fallen into the, oh, we're deploying using zip files. I guess I'll go learn about <laughs> versioning and I'll be the champion of subversion. I don't give a crap about subversion, but like I have to have that in order to do anything interesting. Or like we have to have a certain level of testing. I don't want to be the testing guy, but if you there's no tests, like I got to be the testing guy if nobody else is. So yes, I've had the joy of introducing tests when there are no tests. And it was, um, uh, I had mixed results. (laughs) Yeah, I learned a lot. (laughs) Many cautionary examples of how not to do it. So here's an example of how not to do it. Hey, everybody, you all suck. You are all terrible. I am better than you because we should do this thing differently. That's a great way to
2: not win friends. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It's funny that you mentioned the testing guy. So, you know, I had a job where I was a little bit newer and we weren't doing testing and I had the opportunity to be the testing guy and champion it. And I was like, okay, I want to have a thing, but I chose testing, which might've been a bad idea. But we had that idea where we went through the process. We tried proof of concepts. So we introduced it. Half the people liked it. The other half hated it. And so we just pushed it and, you know, went for it. And I feel like, you know, again, is that upfront process was painful. People were angry, got some mean looks, but I think it kind of relieved anxiety. And when deployment day came, that piece was there knowing like, Hey, all our tests are passing. We might be okay, <laughs> but you never know. But in terms yeah. of introducing testing, it is that it's not a risk. I want to say, but it, you don't get that instant gratification.
1: Yeah. Yeah, one thing that I'll throw in here, because I've been in this position before. Yeah, I can't remember which place it was, but I was in one place where, yeah, they they didn't do testing. And they were kind of hostile to it when I brought it up, because it was like, well, you know, what's wrong with the code writing? And I'm like,
0: you think you're better than me?
1: Yeah, that's kind of the way it came across. (laughs) And, you know, my, my response was more or less, no, but... I get a little nervous when I think about what you know that he doesn't know and what he knows that he doesn't know and what he knows that she doesn't know. And so when you build something in, you're making assumptions that none of the rest of us are aware of. And so there's going to be some overlap that doesn't get handled well. Anyway, so I kind of talked him around to at least going, well, I guess that makes sense, but I still don't want to do it. And then the way that I pushed from there was essentially, well, let's just try it, you know? let's try writing tests on all of our new stuff for a month because I knew that we were going to deploy at least twice there. And then we can kind of go back and kind of do like an agile res- retrospective. But I just kind of pitched it as then we can sit down and talk about what worked yeah. and what didn't. And helps to use regular human speech sometimes. Yeah. That just got us a long way toward at least people getting on board. Because some people, after the first deployment, you know, and we didn't have as many problems and they were confident that the code worked because we had tests around the new stuff. They were all in. And so we had a few people that we still had to kind of bring along a little bit. But it was much easier to get people in by saying, hey, let's just try this for a month, right? And then if it doesn't work, you know, if it doesn't work out for us, then we just won't do it. Yeah.
0: There's also a lot of philosophy around the the right way to do tests and there's a million different ways to do them. Do you do the integration tests? Do you do only browser testing? Do you do only unit te- Another way I've seen it done wrong is when somebody will be gung-ho, okay, we're going to do tests, and then they do all the wrong kinds of tests, and then it turns out the tests didn't catch something important, and then everybody thinks that testing itself is worthless instead of, well, yeah. you didn't do testing right. <laughs> so... Spending a little bit of time, like learning the philosophy of testing, or at least like the uh, the hierarchy and what a good kind of high level way to approach it before just diving in and just like thinking right. you already know, and that helps a lot.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think Charles's approach was good, and you know, like you just need that champion and that incremental approach where yeah. you know you kind of start. You know, in terms of React, you write a couple Jest tests right and kind of get that going, and then. Once that suite's built up, then you kind of work up to like a Cypress, like end-to-end test. And, you know, you need someone to kind of get that experience under the belt to kind of get the architecture in place and mentor others or, you know, have a couple of people that work through the whole process. But I think that's the way when you're introduced in testing is, you know, just try it. You know, obviously it's just adding another file, you're giving it a go. And if it doesn't work or it's not for you, then... You know, you don't have to do it. But I think in terms of introducing a technology, that's a good approach is just just go for it, you know.
1: Yeah. One thing that I'll push a little bit, though, is every team's different. So tailor that approach to your team. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Another thing to keep in mind is when when you are pushing for doing testing, it's it's like pulling on the tail of a dragon. You don't know how big the rest of the dragon is or how much more (laughs) is coming. So Mm -hmm. like you introduce a little bit of testing and then, okay, well, we want to test this code, but actually the code wasn't written in a testable way. So where do you put the complexity? You have all this complexity. Do you put all the complexity in the tests? Do you refactor all of your code? But how do you know you didn't break all your code if you
2: you didn't have any tests? Yep. Yeah, that's a fun thing too, because you know some of the testing frameworks have their own little quirks, and if you're testing something, yes. you're something wrong there, you're like, oh man, everything's broken. <laughs> you know.
0: Yeah, and I think then it there was, was... Mocha
2: or something like that that couldn't handle arrow functions at first, <laughs> so it it yeah. thought like you know, I think it was like this was handled weird, so everything broke or something. It was there was an odd instance of it.
0: There's also like fads, like uh, shallow. Rendering was like a big fad for a while. There are still a lot of people that, I mean, that's probably another holy war that I just stumbled into there. Don't, don't at me. Like some people are all into, <laughs> oh, you should do all shallow rendering. You should never, you know, reach in and test the, and then uh, Kent C. Dodds, like it's kind of hard to argue with anything Kent C. Dodds says. <laughs> yeah, that's rough. <laughs> yeah, he's like, well, shallow testing is bad because of, he's got reasons. I don't remember what they are, but they're seemed convincing.
2: Yeah, I have always, I have the the rule of thumb, I always, you know, start simple, have an expected behavior and test the output and make sure it's the actual. So if you have like a currency output, if you throw in 300 does $3 output, you know, something like that to kind of get started. The integration testing and end to end testing, you know, those are a little bit more difficult, but there's some really good guides out there that will kind of help you take those first steps. But i 'm a big believer in the incremental approach where just start with the unit testing is always a safe bet yeah, as
0: far as yeah. me personally i've kind of Ruby on Rails got me down the rabbit hole of of testing and test driven development as well, and f- for me it it kind of integrates into my workflow if I can get the flow right where i'm i 'm kind of describing what I want as the test, and then building something as the implementation of that test, I can just get into such a, a rhythm that my personal productivity just shoots through the sky. But like my personal workflow, I can't really expect other people to do that. Because it's just, it's so specific to the way that I have to work.
2: Yeah, I know what you mean. Because TDD, I, for me, I was I had a similar experience on a larger Node app. So it wasn't React, unfortunately. But you know, you get in that flow, you get your test written, you know what your your inputs are going to be and what your expected outputs, and then it kind of got that rhythm over to where then you go over to the node aspect and it had that hot reload. So then, you know, you would see all the red turn to green and you'd be like, yes. oh man, I'm satisfied with my life right now.
1: Feels so good. That is such a good feeling. And even if you're not used to it, just seeing it all turn green and going, okay, well, everything that I told it I wanted, I got. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: I know. I start work at six a.m. and it's only nine a.m.
1: But I'm just going to call it a day because that was rewarding. That's
2: right. <laughs> All green. Commit. Push. Yeah. I'm out of here, guys. Yeah. yeah. And I'm out.
0: Drop the mouse.
1: There you go.
2: <laughs> yeah. So we covered uh, introducing the frameworks. We talked a little about introducing hooks and then testing. What other aspects are there that you know, as a React developer, should we be concerned about?
1: So I think there are kind of different categories. So talking about like React Hooks is essentially introducing new technology or new libraries could also kind of fall into that same kind of thing, even though React Hooks is a feature of React. Introducing new practices, I guess, in the code. The introducing testing is more just introducing different processes or introducing new parts of the process you use. You know, I, I see the same thing with like Docker. If you're gonna do builds in Docker or something like that, you know, introducing that kind of thing kind of falls under the same kind of thing as introducing testing. Of course, you're also introducing a tool, and and I guess that's the other arena. And we did talk a little bit about like CI and stuff as far as introducing a new tool, right? Getting people on on board with something like Circle CI though, or something, you may also have to get budget, and so you have to get your boss to go to bat with yeah whoever, but. I think those are kind of the big areas. And I'll tell you, I have one uh, sort of anecdotal story on some of this. It's more in line with the testing discussion than it is with the React Hooks discussion. But I was working on a team, man, what, like 10 years ago? I was there and there was another developer there. We started trying to talk our boss into adopting agile development practices. Oh, yeah, that's a big change. Right. And so we start start chatting with him, and we're talking about the benefits of it. And what we wound up doing is we wound up actually convincing him to pay to go to a conference, a small local conference called Agile Roots that was being held there in Salt Lake. And they had actually rented the small event center that was like right up the road from our office, and so it made it really easy for us to convince him to, you know, pay for all of us to go. And by the time we we were done with the conference, he'd sat in on enough sessions to where he got bought in. Right. That's huge. And so once he was bought in, then we could come back around and we could have the conversations about, okay, this is what I learned in these sessions. Oh, well, I learned these other things in these other sessions. And we could kind of formulate a plan to adopt agile development. But we had full buy-in from the stakeholders, namely us. And so it really, really worked out. And so I guess another example here is just if there's some way you can get your boss in a room where a presentation's being made about whatever it is that you want to adopt it makes it a lot easier or if you can you know shoot somebody a, an email that has a video in it that demonstrates react hooks for 15 minutes right and they can see the benefits of it you might be able to get some buy in that way and even if you get people wanting to get on board then people are willing to talk about how you actually bring it in and use it That's so good because then it becomes, instead of it's a uh,
0: us versus them, it's like we're all in it together. We're all kind of a team. We're
1: trying to figure out how to move forward as a team. And and it's not a, well, you know, Thomas has been looking at that thing for a month and he'll tell us whenever he's ready. It's a, hey, how's it going? Because now I'm invested in it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Another kind of end of the spectrum is as far as like introducing new tech, there's also introducing kind of philosophies of how to, how to organize your components. Like in React, it's kind of a, a low-level tool. You can build your components in a billion different ways. So how do you decide where to move the complexity? I mean, mm-hmm. we can talk about that in, in another episode later, but that's kind of pushing for a change there. I guess pushing for change in general Follows the same kind of patterns of, you know, how are we going to organize our components? Are we going to have dumb components, or are they all going to use Redux Connect? Or are they, how are we going to handle internationalization? Are we going to push that down to the like the leaf component nodes, or is there, are we going to have some kind of controller layer in the middle? There's no real, you know, of the official React way to do this stuff.
2: Yeah. That's a good point. Cause uh, you know, again, and just trying to get that buy-in from a team, even like what pattern are we going to follow for co-sharing? Are we going to do render props? Are we going to do higher order components? No. You know, so it's all, <laughs> you
0: know, like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've outed myself, you know where I stand <laughs> on that issue.
2: <laughs> so that's, what's uh, interesting is, like I said earlier, there is a pattern you can follow for introducing things and, no, a lot of it has to do with collaboration and getting by and right. from your team. So I think that's, that's one of those things where, uh, you know, where these soft skills are super handy in this situation. Totally. And picking your battle. Like, I mean, I'll use yeah. higher order components if that's
0: what everybody thinks is best. But if we're not already using them, I might you know, want to have a discussion with you
1: <laughs> yeah. thinking of introducing yeah. them. All right, well, we kind of need to get some picks in. Because we were going to try and squeeze in another episode today, so let's well, go I ahead heard and this, do pick
0: this great new
1: book. If you could, <laughs> yeah, it's for, by some some dude, some Max dude or something. <laughs> yeah, I'll pitch the book real quick. So, so I'm planning on writing a series of books, and they're all going to be the Max Coders Guide to something. This one's the Max Coders Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job, and you can pick it up on Amazon. It's 2.99 on Amazon. And yeah, if you go and grab the book, I would really appreciate you leaving a review on Amazon. I have an email going out today as we record this. Obviously, this is going to come out in a week or two or three. So by then, it should be well out. Um, I'm also planning on putting together a video course for it. And you can probably pick that up at maxcoders.io. I'm going to get the audio book out as well. By the time this goes live, you should be able to get it too. So anyway, just throwing all that at you. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. And that way you can go snag it. But yeah, right now it's $2.99 on the App Store. I may raise the price, so it may cost more by the $2.99 time... $2.99 is such a bargain. I could buy it twice. I know, right? <laughs> the reason is, is that I kept getting asked by people, how do I find a job? And... Um, an important question. A lot of it was people who were, you know, they were new and, you know, they just didn't know quite how to look. And then there were a bunch of other people that were... You know, they were in a job they didn't like. Usually it was their first job. And there was some aspect of the job that they didn't like. So they didn't have growth opportunities or this or that or the other, right? And so anyway, I coached probably like a dozen or so people using this process. And pretty much all of them were able to find jobs that paid them more and gave them more of what they wanted from the job. That's huge. And so I was like, well, I'm gonna write this down because a lot of them were just out there putting their resume out there over and over and over again and weren't getting blind. the results. <laughs> so yeah, so that's kind of the the deal there. So if if you want to go pick up the book, I would appreciate it. There is a link in the front to get on the list for announcements as far as I'm, I'm working on some worksheets that I plan to add into the book, but you can get those worksheets by joining the list and then you'll get notified when the audio book is available as well. So yeah, awesome. That, that's pretty Christopher,
0: much
2: it. Your turn. Yeah, that's good. I'm going to choose this blog on LogRocket, or yeah, Log Rocket. and the title is Practical React Hooks, How to Re- Refactor Your App to Use Hooks, and it's a really good in-depth article. It's about 15 minutes, so if you're reading, you know, three-minute medium ones, it is a little bit of a trek, but it's worth it. It's got some really cool uh, GIFs in there where it actually shows a transformation from a class-based component into a hook, and, you know, they go through the why's and Good and bad, and it's just a really good, informative article. So that's who I'm going to choose today. Very nice. So my pick of the day is
0: uh, the updated Teachable Machine by um, Google. It's an, an online website where you can learn to do machine learning and stuff without learning any code. You can just get started. It's something that you can give to like a, a kid, and they can start noodling around with it and starting to 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 develop and intuitive understanding of the power and capabilities and limitations of machine learning through play, which is a, a very valuable and fast way to learn things on a deep level. I highly recommend
1: everybody noodle around with it because AI is the future. <laughs> We're actually starting an Adventures in Machine Learning podcast. So, Ooh. Oh, wow. Uh, We'll have to get somebody on to talk about that. that, that yeah, totally. Be really cool. Subscribed. Yeah. It'll probably come out around the beginning of the year. So, which year? 2020. Oh, <laughs> the future is now. <laughs> we, have, we have another podcast that uh, I'm collaborating with, rather well known company as well. And we're working on putting together a joint announcement. So, I'm not going to announce it here yet, but. Ooh, exciting. Yeah. Oh, spoiler. Yeah. So, keep an eye out for that too. Join the mailing list and you'll find out when they go live. How's that? Oh, there's a mailing list? Yeah, go to devchat.tv, scroll down to the footer, put your email address in. Okay, devchat.tv,
0: you say? Yeah.
1: Okay. All right. And that
0: does it for another episode of React Roundup. Talk to you. Thanks, everybody. See you guys later. Bye,
2: everybody.